following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Arcanum 8, Justice. Today we're going to give a lecture about the nature of the eighth arcanum of the Tarot, the eighth law, the eighth teaching in the sequence of Tarot cards that we've been studying, the major arcana. We're going to elaborate on the nature of two different paths that we discussed in relation to arcanum 6, indecision, the path between the virgin on the right and the whore on the left. Representative of what we call the solar and the lunar paths. The solar path on the right is the path followed by initiates who follow Christ, the Christic energy, the solar logos. The path on the left is precisely the lunar path, the path of black magic, of sorcery, of uh, demonic arts that are fulfilled by strengthening the ego the cages of our suffering by feeding anger, lust, pride, vanity, etc. So we're going to talk about how to use what we call the solar and lunar energies in a positive way, in a dynamic way, in accordance with the teachings of Kabbalah, especially the Zohar, as well as the Holy Quran, the book of Genesis, and the ancient scriptures. We've been talking a lot about the nature of alchemy, transforming base material into spiritual material. The leaden of the soul, of the ego, we could say, or mechanicity, into the gold of spiritual understanding, into insight. This is represented in transforming the moon into a sun. The path of the left of which all of us have followed at one point, we are now seeking to follow the path of the right, the solar path, the Christic path, the path of the angels, of the great masters who incarnate the solar light, divinity. And so precisely in that work, we have to comprehend our errors, 
our defects, our egotism, in a very patient way. Arcanum 8 teaches us patience, how to suffer. As we talked about in Arcanum 1, the four stipulations of a magician. To know how to be silent, to know how to abstain, to know how to die, and to know how to suffer. So Arcanum 8 teaches us patience. To be just human beings, we must be patient in the work of transforming our lunar mechanical forces inside into solar forces from leaving the path of the left to the path of the right. So we'll also talk about the tree of life in depth when we discuss the nature of these two paths as they've been taught in religion, but also how they practically apply to us physiologically, alchemically speaking. The book of Revelation speaks about two energetic channels that rise from the spine, the base of the cossacks, to our brain. The right serpent, the serpentine power known as Pingala amongst the Hindus, is solar, is masculine, projective. That energy rises from either the testicles or the ovaries to the brain. The path of the left, or the lunar energies, of which we will be talking extensively today, is known as Ida amongst the yogis, the Hindus. And that energy rises from the other uh, testicle or ovary up to the brain. It is the lunar, feminine, receptive energies. We can say negative just as we have a positive polarity in electricity, positive, negative, which are harmonized by the neutral force, which is in the cossacks, or better said, in the spine, the middle path. We talked about Arcanum 7, the Hebrew letter known as Zayin, which is the sword of the Kundalini that rises from Chakra Muladhara up our spine to our head when we practice the perfect matrimony, when we practice white sexual magic, alchemy. That is the path of the middle, the path of the revolutionaries of, of a spiritual type. And so we want to raise that Kundalini force by working with Solar and lunar energies, positive, negative, masculine, feminine. The Hebrew letters Vav and Zayin, of which we discussed in Arcanum 6 and 7, respectively, represent also these two energetic channels in our spine. Vav is masculine, Zayin is feminine. Adam, Eve, Male, female. Or in Kabbalah, we say Od and Obd. These are known as the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, which, when these serpents are active up our spine, intertwining in the form of the Holy Eight, and when those energies have risen to our mind to saturate our intellect with Christic force, we can see that the two witnesses are standing. They're upright. And we'll talk about the book of Revelation in very great detail today as well because it is a profound book of Kabbalah and alchemy. Well, let's talk about the two witnesses in relation to the tree of life. We have here an image of the famous tree of life on the left, a map of our consciousness, a map of who we are, which we notice is made up of three pillars. The pillar in the middle constituted by Keter, Da'at, Tiferet, 
Yesod and Malkut. We have the pillar of the left, constituted by Binah, Geburah, Hod. And then we have the pillar of the right, constituted of Chokmah, Chesed, Metzach. This tree of life is most intimately related to our spinal column. Your spinal column is a tree of life. Because without the spine, we could not exist. We would not be able to live as fully functioning humanoids. And so the two witnesses of which the book of Revelation speaks are precisely two channels of energy within our tree of life, which are mapped out here. We can say that the lunar path or the lunar energies relate to the left pillar of the tree of life. We have the solar energies relating to the right pillar of the tree of life. And the middle of the staff in which the energies of the kundalini rise are precisely in the middle pillar. We have to remember that in us, these two witnesses are dead. Because what does it mean to witness? It means to perceive God directly. When we meditate, when we're eating and sleeping, walking, everything we do is in remembrance of divinity. If we don't have direct knowledge of the divine, it means that these two witnesses, these two energetic channels that can give us light are dead. They're inactive. And so the way to revive them is precisely through the alchemical science, the means of transforming the sexual energy into light. The caduceus of Mercury represents precisely the tree of life on the left in relation to our spinal column. We have Hermes or Mercury with his famous symbol of medicine invoking the dead from limbo in order to raise them up and initiate them into the celestial militia. That's his famous, one of his famous roles, many roles in the Greek myths. But what does that practically mean for us? We are dead spiritually. We don't see God. We don't communicate with God directly in a very concrete manner. Therefore, we have to work with Hermes, Mercury, who is a representation of our creative energies themselves. And the mercurial or hermetic science is how we hermetically seal ourselves. We don't emit or lose any sexual energy. We conserve it. We sublimate it into light, up the two channels of the spine, so that the wings of the spirit, as we see here represented on the top of this caduceus, can flourish within our spinal column. This is the wings of the angels, the masters. And so Hermes is the one who awakens us from our stupor, our sleep, our spiritual death. We are, as we presently exist, with our daily life in Malkut, the physical world, we generally don't have any knowledge of the rest of the Sephiroth above, the spheres above. The spheres above, of course, represent heavens, states of being, states of consciousness, of which we typically remain ignorant. But by working and 
resuscitating the two witnesses, you ascend up this tree of life back towards the source, the light, which in Kabbalah we denominate <clears throat> by the three aspects of the absolute. We have Ain, in Hebrew meaning nothingness, Ain Sof, meaning limitless, and Ain Sof Or, meaning the limitless light. And uh, so the solar light, known as the Ain Sof Or, is precisely the Christic force, the light of the divine, which descends from that uh, abstract seity in order to manifest down the different sephirot to our physical body, this physical plane. This light, which can resuscitate our two witnesses in our spinal column, are precisely the energies that emanate originally from the Ein Sof Aur, the divine. And that light, when it manifests into the universe, becomes the tree of life. This energy descends down the Sephiroth until finally reaching our physical body, Malkut. And so this solar light has only one purpose. The divine only has one purpose, which is to emanate itself into the universe, to enter materiality into the different levels of matter, energy, and consciousness, so that by unfolding itself and reaching this physical body, it can return inward and upward back to the source, which, if we take the tree of life, you can vertically transpose it on a human being. The top trinity represents our head, constituted of Keter Chokmah Binah. The heart is represented by Chesed, Geburah, Tifereth in our torso. The lower trinity, Netzach, Hod, and Yesod, relate to our thighs and our sexual organs. And Malkut, can say, relate to our feet. And how we walk in this physical plane determines how we live spiritually. And so this energy of the Ein Safor, the light of Christ, descended, and now we have it in our body, our machine, which Malkut is kingdom in Hebrew. And this kingdom has all these different forces, principles, archetypes, blueprints that can help us create the real human being inside. And the way that you do it is precisely through your two witnesses. But of course, as I said, these witnesses are dead in us. We need to learn to resuscitate them. And the way that we do it is precisely through a perfect matrimony and by working with the sexual energy. Now, it's important to understand that in relation to this tree of life, that different paths emerge. Different ways unfold. I mentioned to you that the right pillar represents Pingala, the solar sexual current that rises from sex to the brain. The left pillar relates to the feminine sexual energies, the lunar serpent, which typically in most people doesn't ascend to the brain. Instead, it's fallen. The lunar energies represented by Eve in the Bible is precisely the energies of our sexual forces that we've wasted, that we've abused through the act of fornication, the original sin. 
And when that energy was expelled, we kicked ourselves out of Eden. Eve ate the forbidden fruit, which is, of course, a representation of how one uses this sexual energy. Eve is not a person in the, middle, in the past in the Middle East. Represents Chava, our sexual organs. Adam represents the brain. But you can also refer to Adam and Eve as the two channels, the two witnesses on the spine. And so through the abuse of this energy, we took the energies of the pillar of the left and we sent them down past Malkut into the infernal dimensions. The very famous tale of Satan, the tale of the demons, is the lunar serpent, the lunar energies, Ida. Instead of rising up the spine, it's fallen. It descends down the Cossacks towards the infernos or the atomic infernos of the human being. And so this is precisely our problem. We have a lot of defects, egos, elements that condition our consciousness because we use the energy in the wrong way. And therefore that serpent has fallen, descended. We need to take the energies of the left pillar and raise them to return them. Because the fallen serpent we call Kunda Buffer, tale of demons. But the risen serpent we call Kundalini. The Kundalini is the force of the Divine Mother we call Zain, the Hebrew letter relating to Arcanum 7. And so, Adam, Eve, Od and Od, male, female, masculine, feminine, the two energies that must be intertwining and risen within us. And so, this is the path we have to undertake if we want to resurrect the two witnesses, which we find represented in the book of Revelation in the following quote. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, or one thousand two hundred sixty, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth, which in Hebrew is Malkut, your body. And who is this God of the earth? In Hebrew is Adonai. So when the Hebrews say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, Really, Adonai refers to the sacred name of God in Malkut. And Adonia, goddess, is the serpent power of Kundalini that rises in the center of the spine, up the middle path. But of course, you can only raise that fallen energy if you work with the left, the feminine energies, as well as the masculine. And if any man will hurt them, these two witnesses, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. And devoureth their enemies. This isn't literal. It's a very symbolic language. If any man will hurt these two witnesses through the act of fornication, then the sexual fire of the Holy Ghost proceedeth out of their mouth, which is the symbol of Da'at in Hebrew. Kabbalah. The hidden sufferer of the tree of life. Which is precisely the perfect matrimony we've been discussing in this course. And so they will devour their enemies, meaning the ego. Because the enemy of the two witnesses, the enemy of the energetic circuitry functioning fully in us, is a result of uh, our past mistakes. 
And therefore, these egos are really the obstacle any initiate faces on the solar path and following that way. And so the ego will be destroyed, consumed, annihilated when we work with these two witnesses. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, meaning to deny your experiences of the higher dimensions of the tree of life. That it rain not in the days of their prophecy, meaning to not provide rain of transmutation. In the Quran, a symbol of uh, the alchemical science is precisely in how rain emerges. The Quran speaks about the symbolic way of how Allah gives rain to the earth to rejuvenate it. The earth is your physical body. And when man and wife unite through the heat of love and the sexual act, the vapors, the seminal energies, rise up the spine, up the two witnesses, in order to reach the brain and then eventually to descend down as rain to the heart, to give life to your heart. And so the two witnesses have this power to shut heaven, to give or deny experiences to the soul, that it reign not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, which is a symbol of animal passion, and to smite the earth, your physical body, with all plagues, diseases, as often as they will. So the reason why many people get sick with venereal disease, with certain incurable illnesses like cancer is because of the original sin, fornication. The body became degenerate and sick. And if you misuse the energies of the left, the lunar serpent produces many problems. The lunar energies descend from the left pillar down through Malkut and then down into what we call the infernal dimensions, which are known as Klipot, in Hebrew, meaning the hell realms, which in Islam is represented by an inverted tree, the tree of hell known as Zakum, which in Arabia is represented in this way because that tree in the Middle East, its leaves are the most bitter to consume, very disgusting to eat. So hell is a representation of the bitterness of those who misuse the creative energy. Those who eat from those leaves suffer bitterness. And of course, the mouth refers to da'at, how you use the sexual energy, because your speech relates to your sexual organs. How you use and project that force determines on how you use your words. And so the hell realms, it's important to understand, exist because the light of the Ein Sof 4 descends to the, the sphere of Malkut, the physical body. And there are many souls who exist who don't want to willingly return that light back to the source, back to the absolute, through the solar path. The path of the solar initiates is one in which one takes that solar light and returns it to God. But uh, there are those souls that don't want to do this willingly. And therefore, hell exists. There are souls that work willingly on the disintegration of their de egos, their defects, so that those shells are shattered and the light can return to the, do the, the divine. 
But there are those who want to feed their ego, who don't want to eliminate it willingly. Therefore, hell exists. The infra-dimensions exist. And so that light descending to Malkut and then down to the hell realms is in order that those souls filled with ego can be disintegrated down there within the interior of the earth. And this is known as the lunar way, the lunar path. One followed by a lot of suffering and a lot of, a lot of pain. So we don't teach that path. There are many schools that do. How to fortify your anger, your lust, your pride, so that you have power in your ego and acquire abilities like astral projection, telepathy, jinn science, but that's all in the negative way, in hell. So that lunar serpent, if it descends, can give you power in the infernal dimensions. But if you learn to raise that energy and return it to the being, then you can prophecy in heaven. And hell, you can see exactly every, all the breadth and depth of the tree of life and the tree of death. But this is precisely the problem with many people is that they don't want to eliminate their ego. So if they don't do it willingly, then nature does it for them. Na- uh, hell is nature's recycling plant. It isn't a place of eternal damnation where if you disobey some anthropomorphic god, his Ten Commandments, you go down there to suffer forever. That's not the meaning. The reason why the scriptures teach that hell is eternal is because the infernal dimensions are the negative aspect of what we call eternity. In the Tree of Life, we have Hod and Netzach, the fifth dimension. We call that eternity. But that's in the positive aspect. There is also a negative aspect of the fifth dimension, which is in eternity, but down there. And so, eternity is not a straight line, it's a circle. It has a beginning and an end. Therefore, that concept that you keep on suffering in hell really negates the reality of God's compassion. Because if hell was like that, then how would God be, or how would divinity be kind instead he would be a tyrant. And of course, that we can't accept that. So hell is a, has a beginning and an end. Until that soul is fully purified of that ego, then the soul will be released from the shells, from the ego, in order to return a new journey back to Malkut and to uh, reinitiate another opportunity, evolving through mineral, plant, animal, and then humanoid kingdoms as we discussed in the transmigration of souls on our website. But that's a very mechanical way to go, to be taken and swallowed by nature, where you just go with the flow, no resistance. But there are many who want to study this type of knowledge, who want to follow the solar path, because they know intuitively, instinctively, that if they don't work on themselves, then nature will do it in a very painful way, a very prolonged manner which is very uh, arduous. It's better instead to willingly eliminate the ego and to develop light. So these are the solar and lunar paths. The path of the right, the path of the left. The path of the right, we return the light back to the source so that that light and the Ains of War gains more knowledge, cognizance. And that solar path 
you gain wisdom by having worked on yourself. But to follow the lunar path is to disintegrate in those realms and to not gain much knowledge. Instead, it's very mechanical, very painful. So the Quran teaches us beautifully the difference between these two paths. It's interesting to note that in the Quran, in the original Arabic, the word for believer is al-mumin. The plural is al-muminin, which reminds us of the Hebrew word ma'im, water. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, divided the waters from the waters. So anyone who works with the, <coughs> excuse me, the waters of Yasod is one who works with transformation with the solar path. And uh, a believer is somebody who works with their sexual waters, their creative energies, ma'im, in order to create the spiritual heavens and the spiritual earth what we've called in our previous lectures the solar bodies. But what is an unbeliever? In Arabic is al-kafir. From the Arabic or the plural al-kafirin. So it's interesting that this word appears many times in the Quran. And many Muslims believe that it refers to people who don't follow the tradition of Abraham. Well, that's a very superficial understanding. The word kaf. In Arabic, means head, or better said, cave, which refers to our head. And so, the letter R in kafir also reminds us of the Hebrew rosh, meaning head. And also the Arabic rain, meaning head, likewise. So what is this cave? It refers to our mind. Because when we look in our mind, we see a lot of thoughts, ideas, concepts, Memories, which have no stability. They're fluctuating. There's a lot of darkness in there. Our mind is a labyrinth, which in we must explore in order to find the minotaur of Crete so as to slay the beast, our ego. But the unbelievers are those who live within the cave of the intellect, who have a lot of theories about religion, about tarot, about mysticism, and yet they have no development. They're in the darkness because they don't work with the creative energies. They don't work with ma'im. They don't transmute the energies from the spine, the base of the spine, to the brain, to the heart. To work with the waters is to be a believer. doesn't mean to think something is true or believe in Islam. It means to practice the work with the waters themselves. And so we find that the unbelievers are also those who dwell within the caves of the earth in the infra-dimensions. Those demons that devolve, degenerate within the interior of the earth, within the negative infernal aspect of the fifth dimension, live within the caves. They are unbelievers. They don't want to return the light willingly. Therefore, they want to go down. So that's the difference between the right-hand path and the left-hand path, which the Quran teaches us beautifully in many surahs. But I'd like to read for you an excerpt from um, the cloaked one, Al-Muratir. Surah 74, verses 26 through 56. And Allah says to the unbelievers, I will drive them into sakar. And that word in Arabic means to burn. To burn with lust, with fornication. 
And in Hebrew, sheker means deception, disappointment, deceit. And what can make you know what is sakar? It lets nothing remain and leaves nothing unburned. Blackening skins. Of course, this is symbolic. It doesn't literally mean that people are burning down there, but burning with ego, with hate, with fear, with resentment. And this is a symbolic language to describe the sufferings of those dimensions. Over it, the infernal worlds, are 19 angels. So 19, we're going to talk about in Arcanum 19. Inspiration. Because one thing we have to remember is that hell is not governed by the demons, but is controlled and actually looked after by the angels. Because they know, and really an angel governs both heaven and hell. Demons only have power in hell, but an angel is above that. Therefore, the intelligences, intelligences of the divine govern both the tree of life and the tree of death. And of course, these are 19 angels referring to inspiration. Because when you see the suffering of those souls in that state, if you're following the solar path, you really are inspired not to go down that way. And we have not made the keepers of the fire except angels. And we have not made their number except as a trial for those who disbelieve, meaning those who fornicate, who are filled with theories, the intellectual Kabbalists, that those who are given the scripture will be convinced and those who have believed will increase in faith, meaning direct knowledge, direct experience. And those who are given the scripture and the believers will not doubt and that those in whose heart is hypocrisy and disbelievers will say, what does Allah intend by this as an example? Thus does Allah leave astray whom he wills and guide whom he wills. And none knows the soldiers of your Lord except him. And mention of the fire is not but a reminder to humanity. No, by the moon, and by the night when it departs, and by the morning when it brightens. Indeed, the fire is the greatest of afflictions, as a warning to humanity. To whosoever, to whoever wills among you to proceed or stay behind. Every soul for what it has earned will be retained, except the companions of the right. Those who follow the right pillar of the tree of life, who ascend back to the solar light, which refers to, uh, or actually, the light from which emerges from the, the space, which is the meaning of Allah. You know, in uh, Islam, they don't allow anyone depicting in a statue the figure of the, the divine, because you can't characterize light. It's expansive. It's also the space, the absolute, which you can't anthropomorphize. And so, the companions of the right will have access to the whole tree of life who will be in gardens questioning each other about the criminals, the black magicians, and asking them, what puts you into Sakar? They will say, we were not of those who prayed, those who meditated, we could say, or who worked on their ego willingly, but who went down to be destroyed in hell mechanically. Nor did we used to feed the poor, referring to those souls who are entering through the door of Dalet, as we explained in Arcanum 4 the mysteries of Da'at or Yasod. And we used to enter into vain discourse with those who engaged in it. And we used to deny the day of judgment, Arcanum 8, justice, until there came to us the certainty. So there will not benefit them the intercession of any intercessors, 
then what is the matter with them that they are from the reminder hearing this type of teaching? They turn away as if they were alarmed donkeys. You could say intellectual animals fleeing from a lion. Rather, every person among them desires that he would be given scriptures spread about. No, but they do not fear the hereafter. No, indeed, the Quran is a reminder. Then whosoever wills will remember it. And they will not remember except that Allah wills. He is worthy of fear and adequate for granting forgiveness. So what does it mean to will? It means to follow your heart. Tifereth. The human soul. Who uh, in Arabic refers to the, Hebrew, uh, the Arabic word kalb. Kaf, lam, ba. Meaning heart. Which I'll be coming back to in a minute. What's interesting is that the word for witness in Arabic is shahid, which is where you get the word shahida, which is the famous declaration of faith in Islam. La ilaha illa illa Muhammadun Rasulullah. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. So, what does it mean to testify to that? It means to have your two witnesses raised so that you experience all the light of the tree of life directly. And that Muhammad is his prophet. And of course, Muhammad existed, but what he represents in the Quran is something else. In Kabbalah, you take the Arabic numbers related to each uh, letter, as with Kabbalah in Hebrew. This is known as the Abjad system. Each Arabic letter or Hebrew letter has a numerical equivalent, which when you add the name, letters of the name together, you get new meanings. So with Muhammad, you have Mim, Ha, Mim, Mim, Dal, which is 40 plus 8 plus 40 plus 40 plus 4 it equals 132. The word Kalb from Kaf, Lam, Ba is 100 plus 30 plus 2. Same numerical meaning there. But then if you also take the number 1, add it to 32, you get 33, which is your 33 vertebra of your spine. And of course, Samael and Vior explains in the perfect matrimony that if you want to raise the Kundalini, you have to, it's based upon the merits of your heart. So if you want to achieve the initiations of the 33 vertebrae of the spine in your marriage, you need to work with your heart. So that's how you work with your two witnesses. Control sex through the power of your heart, your willpower. And in that manner, you will resurrect your two witnesses. I like to relate to, in conjunction with this, before we look at the actual card of the Arcanum 8, it's a large introduction, but once you see the card after this explanation, it'll be much more cohesive for you, more meaningful. The Zohar is a Kabbalistic book we've been coming back to again and again, which here talks about the relationship between the left pillar and the right pillar and the path of alchemy. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters from Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. The first day of Genesis refers to Malkut, how we raise light, or better said, from the darkness of the abyss, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters and said, Yehiaor by Yehiaor, let there be light, and there was light. Meaning you raise, you awaken the light for the first time to the first initiation of fire in your spine in Malkut. The second day of Genesis relates to Yesod. Yesod is your vital body which is composed of four ethers. 
Max Heindel speaks abundantly about the four ethers, which are the ether of life, the chemical ether, the reflective ether, and the luminous ether. The ether of life is for procreation, what gives birth to physical children. Chemical ether relates to your metabolism, catabolism, your digestion, your chemical processes, and your body. The reflective ether relates to your willpower and imagination, how you perceive, which also ties into the luminous ether, which also relates to luminosity and perception. The solar vital body, the famous bodhicitta of the Buddhists, is created when you learn to divide waters from waters, the two superior ethers from the low inferior ethers, reflective and luminous from the ether of life and the chemical ether. This is the dividing of the waters from the waters. In the second initiation, relating to Yasob. And of course, the second day of Genesis relates to how you work with the left pillar, especially the lunar forces. Here is the mystery in detail, separating upper waters from lower through the mystery of the left. Here, conflict was created through the left side. We could say the channel of Ida, the left pillar. For until here was the mystery of the right in the first day of Genesis. And here is the mystery of the left. So conflict raged between this and the right. It's interesting that in the second day of Genesis, after the day was created, the Lord didn't say this was very good. This was good. And the other days he says, this is a good creation. Precisely because the work against lust is very difficult. The second day of Genesis, the creation of the vital body, relates to the conflicts between the solar energies and the lunar energies against Christ and the ego. Right is consummate of all. So, is, so all is written by the right, for upon it depends all consummation. Meaning that the right pillar, the solar path, fulfills feeds the soul, completes it, whereas the path of the left will lead you to pain, destruction. When the left is aroused, conflict aroused, and through that conflict blaze the fire of wrath. So that even the language in the translation here is aroused, to be aroused sexually. Because in the sexual act, when husband and wife are united, the powers of hell are aroused. The temptation appears. The ego says, fornicate. The desire emerges to expel the energies themselves. And this is the great conflict any initiate faces in their matrimony. This is the fire of wrath. Out of that conflict aroused by the left emerged hell. Hell aroused on the left and clung. Meaning, lust doesn't want to let go. It wants to feed itself no matter what. So you have to go, to against, a very, go against yourself in a very strong way. In a holy war, this is the meaning of mujahidah, jihad, the holy war of the Muslims against the ego. The wisdom of Moses, he contemplated this, gazing into the act of creation. Of course, we talked about Bereshit, the act of creation, which is relating to the seven Sephiroth, the seven days of Genesis, creation of the solar bodies, which is operated and manifested or observed by Moses. Of course, literally you read, well, Moses wasn't in Genesis at that point. 
he wrote Genesis, but he wasn't a, a figure in that text. But it's something Kabbalistic, profound. Because Moses represents for you your willpower, Kalb, your heart, or Muhammad, Tifereth. Tifereth is your willpower, your human soul, meaning beauty, who is the very center of the pillar of equilibrium. We have the pillar of the light left, the pillar of the right, and the pillar of balance in the center. Everything depends upon how Tifereth controls both left and right. So through your willpower is how you in the sexual act are going to dominate Yasod and also the temptations of the path to the left. So Moses was contemplating this, gazing into the act of creation. Because when husband and wife are working alchemically, they are should be in control by Moses, your willpower. In the act of creation, a conflict arose between left and right. And in that conflict aroused by the left, hell emerged, clinging there. The central pillar, who is the third day of Genesis, let the dry land appear, we could say, entered between them, mediating that conflict, reconciling the two sides. Hell descended, left emerged in right, or left merged in right, and peace prevailed over all. So hell descends. It's necessary for the soul of light to descend on the tree of life. But it's more necessary then to make the, left, the energies of the left return back to the, to the light to raise that serpent. And in this way, peace prevails, according to the Zohar. So this is described similarly in the conflict between Korah and Aaron, which was left against right. So in, uh, might have been uh, one of the books of Moses, Korah was a Levite uh, uh, tribesman who went against Moses and Aaron. Aaron, of course, was his... Uh, disciple or brother. And Tifereth is represented by Moses. Aaron is represented by Netzach, who refers to the Christ mind, the solar mind that knows how to obey willpower. Because he's always speaking to the people on behalf of Moses. So we use our mind in order to teach the doctrine, a solar mind, amongst the great initiates. And the path of the left, or better said, Korah, can also relate to the left pillar, Hod. Or we can say the lunar astral body, lunar emotions, which in us is very strong, mechanical. Moses, contemplating the act of creation, said, It is fitting that I mediate the conflict between left and right, meaning Aaron and Korah. He endeavored to reconcile them, but the left was unwilling, and Korah stiffened his resistance. Because when you're fighting against your ego, it resists. You're trying to comprehend, meditate, visualize that defect that is bothering you, and pray for annihilation in deep, profound meditation, and especially in the sexual act, when the resistance is most strong, when the temptation is most strong. He said, hell must certainly join in the heat of the conflict of the left, since he does not want to join above, merging in the right, he will certainly descend below by the intensity of his rage. Korah did not want this conflict to be harmonized by Moses because it was not for the sake of heaven. 
Meaning Korah doesn't believe in anything related to heaven. The ego does not believe in our goodwill. So we have those elements that condition us. And as much as we have faith at our level, we have many infidels inside. Unbelievers we must kill in the name of the Lord. Our egos we must comprehend and annihilate. Again, this is the meaning of jihad. Korah did not want this conflict to be harmonized by Moses because it was not for the sake of heaven. He cared nothing about the supernal glory and denied the act of creation, meaning denied sexual magic. Meaning when you're connected with your husband or wife, or husband and wife are connected together, they want to conserve that energy. But then lust enters. The serpent of temptation, the serpent of the left, enters in order to insinuate within the mind of both husband and wife, to spill, to waste the energy. That is Korah, that is temptation. That is the the left pillar of the tree of life, the lunar forces. As soon as Moses saw that he had denied the act of creation and been thrust aside, Moses became very angry. Numbers chapter 16, verse 15. Moses became angry because they had denied him the opportunity to harmonize the conflict. So it's Inevitable that we have conflict. When we're beginning sexual magic, we have a lot of defects, a lot of desires. So it's natural that you will have a lot of problems, a lot of difficulty controlling that. But you have to remember that the conflict is necessary for you to gain knowledge of yourself so that that conflict can be mediated. Moses became angry, very because they had denied the act of creation. Korah denied everything above and below as is written who strove against Moses and Aaron as part of Korah's band when they strove against Yodchava, below and above. So he joined what befitted him. So left and right, the two pillars, which is also emphasized by the conflict between two other Jews, we can say, rather we can say uh, Jewish sages before the era of Christ. A conflict arrayed as above, ascending, not descending, established rightly, is the conflict of Shammai and Hillel. We know the, the sacred name of God, or a certain postulation in replacement of the sacred name of God, is Hashem, meaning the name. Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed be the name of the Lord. Shammai relates to the pillar of the right, because Hashem, the name, refers to Chokmah, whose sacred name of God is Yod Chava, Christ, Jehovah. Hillel, where we get the name Hillel ben Shahar, means glorified, praised son of the dawn. How art thou fallen, Hillel ben Shahar, from the heavens? People would translate that as Lucifer. And Lucifer is the energy of sex that tempts us. If we conquer his temptations, we gain knowledge, light. Luci, ferus, to carry light, the bearer of light. But if we are not in control of our left pillar, our lunar energies, then Lucifer takes us down into the infernos. The Blessed Holy One mediated between them, harmonizing them, Shammai and Hillel. This was a conflict for the sake of heaven, so heaven mediated the conflict. So what does it mean that it's a conflict for the sake of heaven? meaning you're trying to redeem your soul through sexual magic. 
And upon this conflict, the world was established. What world are we talking about? Our spiritual world. The creation of the solar bodies. This resembled the act of creation, whereas Korah totally denied the act of creation, disputing heaven, seeking to deny the words of Torah. Now we talked previously in our lectures that the work with Torah is the work of water. Torah means law. Tarot. Torah. The instructions. He certainly adhered to hell, so there he clung. Meaning Korah. This secret appears in the book of Adam. When darkness aroused, it aroused intensely, thereby creating hell, clinging, it to, clinging to it in that conflict. Darkness in Hebrew is Laila, Lilith, which is the name of a demon. So when you're aroused sexually, you face the darkness of your own mind because there's a lot of temptation there. Your own Lilith is strong. Most people, especially beginning these studies, as the seething fury subsided, meaning the fiery energies of sex are being tamed and controlled, conflict of a different type arose, a conflict of love. Gedullah in Hebrew. There were two conflicts, one beginning, one ending. So what is this conflict of love? When husband and wife are both work, agreed to work in, in a sacred matrimony, in white sexual magic, tantrism. So there were two conflicts, one beginning, one ending. This is the way of the righteous, beginning harshly, ending gently. So the path of the right begins very harshly because this teaching is very harsh to the ego, to our defects, our desires. But it ends very gently because it resides and helps us to repose within the absolute. And of course, the way of the infidels, the black magicians, Begins very gently, ends very harshly. It's the opposite. That's the left, and that's the path of the left pillar. Right. That's why left hand in certain traditions was associated with evil. And we'll talk more about that at the end of this lecture. So Shammai was the end of the conflict. Korah was the beginning of the conflict, seething in wrath. He was compelled to cling to hell. Shammai, or Hashem, the name of God, working with Jehovah and sexual magic, was the end of the conflict. When wrath subsides and one must arouse the conflict of love and be reconciled by heaven. So that's the conflict of love, to be chaste and to be working in a, in a matrimony. So this is the mystery of let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters that it may separate the first conflict, outburst of seething fury. Because you're dividing the waters from the waters. You're dealing with the fury of this sexual energy, which is highly aroused, but you have to control it. He, the Lord, sought to mediate, but before the fury cooled, hell aroused. Because you have to extract light from fire. Before the fire can subside, you need to extract the wisdom from that energy. Temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is light. Then God fashioned the expanse and separated, Genesis 1, verse 7, arousing a conflict of passionate love, endurance of the world. So this is in accord with this mystery, or in accord with this mystery was the conflict of Shammai and Hillel. For oral Torah approached written Torah and love, together consummating existence. And oral Torah refers to 
the verb, the speech, the top trinity, the logos. Keter chokmah bina, which in Christianity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Written Torah, we say, is related to our heart, tiferet, wherein we inscribe the letters of God. As we initiated this course, we said uh, from the book of Psalms, Yea, my Lord, I delight to do thy will. Thy Torah, thy tarot, your laws, are within my heart. The sacred eight, the number eight, relates to the three brains. Which in Gnostic psychology refer to our intellect, our emotions, and our sexual organs. When we transpose the number eight over a human being, we form a continuum, which are the two witnesses rising up the spine, which connect all three aspects of our psychology. Mind, emotion, and sex. So we were talking about the need to control the sexual energy. But practically speaking, how a couple does that is by controlling the heart and the mind. So when husband and wife are united, they have to learn to control their impulses relating to sex, but also their emotions, their mind. They have to be inspired by the flame of love and to let purity of mind and heart govern sex because if one lets the sexual energy control the mind one spills the energy one deviates which is why Samael and Vayor states in uh, many of his books terrible is the struggle brain against sex sex against brain but the worst is heart against heart when you really love this teaching and you're practicing you discover in yourself many elements that don't believe in this doctrine and it's very painful. Many egos that really don't believe in what we're trying to accomplish and which fight against the heart. This also refers to a marriage too. It's very difficult to control the sexual energy in the beginning. It's, the beginning of the path is harsh, but it ends sweetly. As Jesus said, my yoke is easy. But it's also very painful when husband and wife have to face many conflicts and ordeals and challenges in which their heart is against heart. So that is the path of the crucifix. To be crucified is a symbol of how we annihilate our ego through comprehension. How we die on the cross of alchemy because the vertical beam is the phallus. The horizontal beam is the uterus. So we die to our defects in the sexual act. The number eight summarizes all that we've been teaching here about the two pillars. and which is the continuum of Tantra, that symbol of the infinite, transposed over a human being, refers to the continuum of energies that flow and fluctuate within our organism, our body, our mind, our heart, in a white Tantrism. Because the word Tantra means continuum, flow. If you expel the energy, you break the circuitry. There's no more force. Therefore, white Tantrism teaches that man and wife unite, but don't spill the energy, but circulate it by controlling the three brains. It's also interesting uh, in relation to this topic that the number eight or the sign of the infinite relates to some aspects of our physiology, which is important to analyze, especially when we understand 
that gnosis is the path of balance, harmony, harmonization. Many people are obsessed with physical health, which is good. Many people study that the kidneys are essential to our life physically, but also spiritually too. The sign of the infinite is also the sign of Libra, the scale. Because how you balance your energies, mentally, emotionally, physically, depends on how you control yourself, your psyche, and your kidneys. Control many aspects of your physiology, but also many aspects of our sexual energy. So the kidneys are essential for producing hormones. They absorb minerals, filter blood of toxins. They regulate the fluids and waters of the body. So this is very true on a physical level. Likewise, they control the sexual waters. So the scale of Libra relates to your kidneys. And your kidneys have two chakras that can really designate and show any clairvoyant how chaste one is. Because if one is very pure sexually, morally, spiritually, those two chakras in the kidneys are white. They're filled with light. The light of the solar energy. The Christic force. If one is a fornicator, then those two kidneys, those chakras are blood red. Passionate. Which is why in the book of Revelation, we have the following quote. All the churches, or chakras we can say, shall know that I am he which searches the kidneys and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Searches the kidneys and the hearts. So he looks at your chakras to see how pure you are, but also your heart, as we've been talking about. Moses, Muhammad, Tifereth. So our health, psychically and spiritually speaking, depends on how we use this energy. Because your mind and heart are balanced and equilibrated by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is sex. And so that's why every religion has always stipulated at the very beginning of their doctrine, don't fornicate. Don't expel your energy. Because you know us become hermetically sealed to follow the science of Hermes. Conserve that energy, transmute it from its base material into energy through the exercises of a matrimony, but also runes, sacred rites of rejuvenation, pranayama, mantras. We have many techniques in our tradition that teach us how to sublimate that force. And so the doctrine of the believers and the unbelievers is found very beautifully taught within the book of Revelation. The believers who follow and practice tantrism, white tantrism, and the followers who follow black tantrism. White Tantra is conservation of the seminal matter and transformation to energy to never lose one drop of that force. Black magicians, black tantrism is, always culminates in the expulsion of the sexual energy in order to fortify the ego. Which is why in Revelations chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, states the following, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that, that hold the doctrine of Balaam, and the word Baal is a demon, very big demon, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So what is this stumbling block? Any stone refers to Yasod, the stone of uh, the Kaaba in the Middle East, which is the sexual energy itself. 
which in the Middle East, the Kaaba, many Muslims pray and venerate that stone. It's a symbol of our own sexual stone, the stone of Peter, upon which we build our church. How you use that energy determines how you enter the solar path, the path of Jesus, Muhammad, etc. So to cast a stumbling block is to teach people to fornicate, to be like animals. And before the ch- it did this before the children of Israel, which is not referring to people in the Middle East, because Israel is an acrostic, Isis, Ra, El. The Divine Mother Isis in Egyptian mythology, our Divine Mother Kundalini, our inner goddess. Ra refers to the solar light, Osiris Ra. We're not referring to the negative aspect known as Ra, which is impurity, which we'll be talking about too. But Osiris Ra is precisely the light of Ein Sof Aur, the limitless light. And El refers to Chesed and Kabbalah, our spirit. So he taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, meaning teaching the soul how to fornicate. And those solar initiates are those who, real Jews, meaning those who follow Yehu, E-A-O, which is a Latinized version of Jehovah, Ignis Agua Origo, fire, water, spirit, which again relates to our three brains. How you use your three brains determines how you worship the divine. And to teach things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. Teaching those initiates who want to follow the solar path how to be demons in a very strong way. What does it mean to eat things sacrificed unto idols? An idol, people think, is just a statue that people worship. It's not the meaning in esotericism. Any habit that is petrified in our psyche that we constantly worship and venerate is an idol. Hate, pride, lust, fear. Our idols. Our egos are idols. Defects that we worship and venerate and put on a platform. And when you look at our media, it's very easy to see how that's the case. Humanity worships fornication and idolatry. American Idol. But uh, you look at what people venerate and worship is really demonic. To worship pride and sarcasm and hatred is very evil. The path of the left so we're trying to teach you how to live the path of the right. And uh, to eat things sacrificed into idols also refers to how people consume information who fill their cuff, their cave, with information and knowledge, but which is devoid of any spirituality. And even many esoteric groups that feed the intellect with a lot of information, but don't teach you how to be chaste. Because if they don't teach you chastity, they only can teach you some associations, which is, could be useful. Maybe not, but really not practical. If you want to learn how to change and perform Genesis, learn to bring light to your cuff, which you do precisely by working with your sexual energy. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, from Revelations chapter 2, verse 15. What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Doctrine of the orgasm. You gain power through the orgasm and certain capacities through fornication. That's the path of the demons. So this is why Revelation also states, 
chapter 2, verse 9. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, meaning you're very sincere, you want to change. I know that you're working to understand this doctrine and to apply it, and that you're full of tribulation, because the beginning of the path is filled with ordeals. It begins harshly, but it will end sweetly at the end. But thou art rich, says this scripture, meaning rich with ego. To be a rich man doesn't mean to have a lot of money, but to be filled with pride over one's ideas or beliefs or religion or political party. To be rich like the Hebrew letter Gimel, as we discussed previously in our account of three. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So what is a Jew? Someone who worships the light, who develops the light inside. Yehu, E-A-O. The fire, the water, and the spirit of God within the Hebrew name Jehovah. So there are many people who study certain teachings of esotericism and think they are Jews, but because they fornicate, they are not. Because if they are expelling the solar light, they can't develop anything inside. So it's a very harsh reality to face. But how we use our energies can create spiritual life or create spiritual death, which we'll be talking about at the end of this lecture in relation to the book of Genesis. So we've discussed many things to introduce this card. This woman is a, an initiate, a real Jew, a solar master, who carries a sword in her left hand and a scale of justice in her right. The sword in her left hand indicates that you can only raise the power of the kundalini in a matrimony. Every priest needs his priestess. Every priestess needs her priest as we explained in Arcanum 1. So to receive the kundalini sword, Zain, the seventh letter of Kabbalah, is only possible in a matrimony. So the sword, Zain, is in her left hand, referring to the left hand of the tree of life, the left pillar, indicating that if you want to become a master, you have to control that left side very well. She has a scale in her right hand, indicating what we talked about, the three brains, mind, heart, and sex. They have to be in balance, equilibrium. Because how you use your energy, your mind, your heart, determines your life. So how you consciously use the sexual force is how you gain balance, spiritually. Now notice that the woman doesn't touch the scale. This is very interesting. It's levitating in front of her hand. Because it's indicating that in order to obtain balance, you must, as a husband, join your wife to touch and love one's wife, but without lust, without fornication. But love, the opposite. Touch your partner, but without lust. Enter the sexual act, but don't culminate in the orgasm. Enter your partner, but... Don't behave as an animal. To touch, but not to touch. You, shall, you can smell the aroma from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but you can't eat of its fruit. It's a symbol. In Hebrew, the tree of life is represented by Otz Hadat Tob Ra. Dat is the sexual teachings of alchemical knowledge. Tob means purity. Ra means impurity. 
which people translate as good and evil. It's better if we don't use those terms because people have a lot of concepts about good and bad, which are very subjective. But if you look at the tree of life, or think about the tree of life, the pillar of the right is tob, purity. The pillar of the left is ra, impurity. And through dat is how you reconcile both. So we see that in the waters of this card, at the base of the major arcanum, we see a serpent biting its tail, referring to eternity, as we discussed, which is not linear, but circular. That's the serpent of the Divine Mother. She is on, standing on three steps, indicating the Arcanum AZF, Agua Zufre Fuego, translating as water, fire, and consciousness. Or water plus fire equals consciousness. Working with the waters of sex is how you extract the fire and produce light, understanding. These three steps also refer to the apprentice, the journeyman, and the master of occult masonry. It also can refer to the creation of the three principal solar bodies of esotericism. Solar astral body, solar mental body, solar causal body. We have on the bottom left the symbol of Saturn, which is an image of alchemical putrefaction. How the impure substance of the ego must be annihilated so that the soul can be reborn, so that there can be spiritual birth. You also have a solar eclipse on the left, or an image that looks like a solar eclipse, referring to how the ego, the moon, is eclipsing our sun, our light. Therefore, to generate light, you have to destroy the moon. Or as Prophet Muhammad did in the myth, in Islam, he split the moon in half. People literally believe it, maybe true or not, but I'm more interested in the Kabbalistic symbolism of that. So splitting the moon refers to annihilating the ego. We have the symbol of Ra above, the solar logos, Osiris Ra, the Ain Saw 4, which also reminds us of the two horns of the bull Apis, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We have also the sign of Capricorn, the goat, on the bottom right, indicating that really the ego has to be annihilated. The goat, the devil inside of us, needs to be annihilated. And there's always a progression of states in which certain initiates develop. And for women, Master Samael Unvior explains there are four types of female initiates. You have Eve Venus, the instinctual woman, a woman who enjoys fornication. You have Venus Eve, who is a noble woman of the house, a woman who takes care of her family, her children, is dedicated to her marriage. But then you also have Venus Urania, referring to women initiated into the mysteries of sex, who know how to transmute. And then Urania Venus are those women who have self-realized. So in this card, we see a Urania Venus because the scale in her right hand is balanced. She's obtained perfect equilibrium in her mind, her heart, and her sexual organs. And of course, the process of this is a very delicate and prolonged path. One has to be patient. The number eight refers to the eight years of Job and his ordeals, his struggles, his difficulties, which we'll come back to. In the path of 
working with the two witnesses, we awaken the third force, the Kundalini. In Taoism, yin and yang, the feminine and solar forces, are equilibrated and balanced by Tao. And the Tao force, the truth, is the power of I-A-O, Ignis Agua Origo, Fire, Water, Spirit, Jehovah. And so I-A-O is the name of the Lord and refers to the cross of Taoism. The letter T pronounces D, interesting enough, refers to Da'at, alchemy. And the cross is a symbol of sexual union, man and woman. The kundalini has to rise and awaken within the chakra muladhara in order to awaken the other chakras. These are the energetic centers of our spine, which contain certain powers and abilities that awaken and flourish in us whenever we work with that creative force. We raise it up the spine to fully awaken those centers. We have the chakra muladhara relating to the earth, which is the height of our sexual organs. We have Svadhisthana relating to the sexual waters, relating to the prostate of the uterus. In the chakra Svadhisthana, if one develops that chakra, one learns to astral project very easily, to go out of the body in the dream state and to be awake in that dimension with full clarity. The chakra of the earth teaches us how to control our body and to conserve our vitality for many uh, we could say millennia even. The chakra Manipura, relating to fire, is our solar plexus, our abdomen, associated with telepathy. We receive thought in our solar plexus. We emit thought through our mind. So our head is like a radio antenna that transmits frequencies and we receive knowledge and, and information from the solar plexus. We have the chakra Anahata, relating to air, the heart, intuition. To know something without even deliberating intellectually. You intuitively know what will happen in a certain situation or about the f- well-being of someone else. To know without having to think about it. It's intuition. The Shuddha, relating to the throat, associated with the element Akash or the ether, associated with the ability of clairaudience. To hear sounds of a mystical type that are not physical. I like to relate one experience I had when I was in the astral plane. I was followed by a group of black magicians who followed me to my house in that dimension in order to tempt me. So these lunar initiates were trying to pull me into their way. And I remember I woke up in my physical body and I was lying in bed. I resolved not to move my body because if you do, then you can lose certain connection or you can lose certain memories that you obtained in the dream state. So it's good not to move. Just reflect, remember. You can do a mantra such as Raum Gaum, to remember your memories from the dream state. And I remember lying in bed, not moving, not, not, really, not thinking at all. And suddenly I heard a knock on my door in the astral plane through my throat. So those black magicians were knocking on my door in the astral plane when I was physically awake. That's clear audience. You hear the sounds of other dimensions, which was amplified in me because I wasn't moving. I just woke up from that state. Hearing voices from when you fall asleep, let's declare audience. Psychic sounds. The chakra Ajna relates to the third eye, the Adi Tattva. And a Tattva refers to elements, principles and forces in nature, as we've been discussing in our course so far. 
the chakra ajna relates to clairvoyance, which really is better translated as imagination, to perceive images of a psychic type, non-physical imagery. If I tell you, imagine a, a bulldog, you can picture it in your head immediately. That's clairvoyance, but in a very undeveloped state. You can expand it further. That's what people have called clairvoyance, which is a very technical term used to confuse people. It just refers to imagination. And the last chakra is sahasrara, relating to the samadhi tattva, relating to your pineal gland and crown, which is the chakra of omniscience. If you're meditating in the astral plane, you learn to project yourself through your crown chakra, you can have very high experiences if your being wants it, if your divinity wants it, where you can really even enter the absolute from that chakra. Because it's the chakra of omniscience, of comprehension, of knowing everything. A very high element or chakra to develop inside. So these seven chakras are also the seven heavens of Islam, known as Janat, which we awaken by working with the serpent, Kundali, which is within our stone, Yasod. There is a pre-Islamic myth about the Kaaba, in which Arabians from uh, the age of ignorance believed that in the Kaaba was a serpent sleeping beneath the stone, guarding a treasure. It's a beautiful symbol. How in our own Yasod, we have the serpentine power that's guarding a treasure. If you control the serpent, you acquire the treasure of the soul, the beauty of the soul. And we won't go into too much depth about the serpent aspect of all religions. You have the Naga kings of Buddhism, the serpent of brass that healed the Israelites in the wilderness, the tempting serpent of Eden. You also have uh, the serpent mentioned in, basically in the, the pre-Islamic myth. So that serpent is the power of the kundalini force that awakens within the perfect matrimony and which by controlling and awakening the solar and lunar energies we transmute the semen into vapors into forces which open up the channel of the central spinal medulla so that the force can rise within it victoriously yes because you need it, it, it only will work in that way. Because if you are expelling the waters, you, you can't have any light. It goes, down. it goes down. The energy descends. But chemically speaking, you can only raise that energy if you have water. The fire is in the water. If you expel the waters, you have no fire. This is known as the eighth key of Basil Valentine, great alchemist. relating to the Eighth Archon of the Torah and summarizing many of the things we've discussed. We see death as a corpse, putrefaction as crows, sowing as a humble sower, spiritual growth as a wheat stalk, and resurrection of a deceased person heralded by the last trumpet on the day of justice, the day of judgment, by an angel on the right. This is known as Viridarium Kimicum, a teaching of symbols and images that explain the Eighth Arcanum, the work of the two witnesses. 
You see, death here is represented or represents the two witnesses because those two witnesses in us are dead. They're not risen. They're not awakened. And precisely by working in the mystical death, the death of our ego, is how we give birth to the soul. The wheat that grows from the seed is precisely our creative energies. The seed or semen is the energy of the solar light that can give birth to the tree of life in us. Because the seed sown by the sower is a reference to how the solar light gives its force to all beings, the sexual energies of all beings. And in order for the wheat to flourish in us, we have to conserve that seed and transform it. It also refers to the Eucharist because the symbol of wheat is a symbol of Christic energy, which is why the bread and the wine of transubstantiation, which we the Gnostics practice, is a symbol of how we receive the solar light because the wheat receives the sun, the energy of the solar effluvia, and we receive the blood and body of the Lord precisely by working with the Eucharist. And this wheat stalk represents this. The flourishing of the soul. The strengthening of the soul through the solar light. You have uh, crows on the left, symbol of death. Meaning that if the seed of the ego does not die, the soul cannot be born. I remember uh, many years ago, near the time I first started this teaching, I was in the astral plane and I invoked Samael and Vior in, the, in that world. I said, in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, for the majesty of Christ, Samael and Vior, invoked them. I looked in the distance, I was walking, it was at a time I was going to college. I was near a walkway leading towards a, a bridge and I saw in the distance a bunch of crows appeared. And I kept telepathic. I didn't know the meaning intuitively at that time, but I kept invoking the master telepathically to show himself. And then I saw words in English emerge above those crows. Buddhist annihilation. So that term is something that Samael and Vyar uses in his books. How the ego must go through a decapitation. In a Buddhist sense, the self has to die. Because in objective reality, there is no self. And so he was showing me that I want you to die in your ego. You must go through the Buddhist annihilation, which of course is a word that terrifies many people. He says in his lectures that I'm teaching you about the Buddhist annihilation and I see that many of you are uncomfortable because this ego doesn't want to die, doesn't enjoy that, wants to continue existing, which is why many people take the lunar path because they think that they can continue existing as the ego. But the ego has to die at one point or another. And then at that moment, when I saw a Buddhist annihilation, I looked to my left and I saw the master walking. You've seen his pictures as, his, as he appeared as his bodhisattva in Latin America. He was wearing a white suit. He was gigantic, bigger than the ceiling, like 10 feet or so. And he was smiling and just walking. And he was inviting me, showing me, you want to be white inside, pure, of defect, you want to be a giant spiritually? Kill your ego. Die to your defects. And so I remember being very humbled by that. And I think about that experience a lot. And so if you want to give birth to the wheat stalk, the seed has to die. 
And alchemically speaking, our energies are impure. They're black. Blackened with ego, with desire. And we must learn to uh, purify that stone. The Kabbalah must be whitened. So when the ego is fully annihilated, you as a soul are white, purified, elevated. So it's important to remember that uh, the two paths of alchemy represented here. We have two archers aiming towards a target. The archer on the right hits his bullseye. The archer on the left shoots to the left, misses. The word in archery for shooting to the left is known as sin, which is where we get the term sin in religion, to shoot to the left, to take the lunar path, which is the path of fornication. The path of the solar initiates always hits the bullseye, knows how to direct that energy appropriately. But of course the fornicators don't know that. And so we have to learn to work with mystical death, symbolized by the crosses on the graveyard and the body that's decomposing. If we want to be reborn, resurrected, as we will talk about in Arcanum 20, near the end of this course, you have to die to the defect, your defects. We always include some information from the Psalms in these lectures because certain verses contain the Hebrew alphabet or certain Kabbalistic meanings relating to the Hebrew Kabbalah. So from Psalm 119, we have verses 57 through 64, which all begin with Chet. And the Hebrew letter Chet symbolically refers to all that we've been teaching here, how we use the two polarities of Vav, Zayin, which together, you combine them, they spell Chet. Yod Chavah is my portion. I have said to keep your words. I entreated your face with all my heart. Bestow your mercy on me according to your word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Again, testimonies reminds us of the witnesses, to witness God. Precisely by working with the stones of Kabbalah, the, Hebrew, uh, the Latin word for testicles comes from testes, which is where you get the word testimony, to see. So how you use your, your ovaries or your testicles is how you're going to receive light. I hurried and did not delay to keep your commands. The cords of the wicked hemmed within me, meaning your ego is always fighting against you as you're trying to change. I have not forgotten your law, your Torah. At halves of the night I will raise to give you thanks because of your righteous judgments relating to justice, to be a just human being, the balancing of all our principles inside. A companion I am to all those who are in awe of you, and to those who keep your precepts, meaning sexual magic, to be chaste. Your mercy, O Yod Chava, fills the earth. Teach me your statutes. So let's talk about the Hebrew letter Chet. The word for life is Chai, which is where the Hebrews get the term Lachayim, to life. Raising a glass of wine to toast the Lord. Chaya refers to the Holy Spirit the energies of sex which can give life spiritually and physically. As we explained in our previous lectures, spiritual birth is obtained by learning to 
work with the waters. Jesus said you must be born again of water and spirit. So the waters of sex is how you can give birth to your soul. Chaya is the, fo- the fountain of universal life. And chet refers to the receptive or projective forces of speech because the guttural sound chet resounds in the throat, reminding us of da'at, alchemical science. We spoke about vav and zayin. And if you look on the image on the right, we have Adam and Eve surrounded by the Hebrew letter Chet. We have Zayin on the left, Vav on the right. And in the middle, we have the symbol of death. Because in order to give life, you have to die in your defects. It's interesting that if you take Vav and Zayin together, the letter Vav can be read as a vowel sound, an O sound, which is where you get words like Oz, the wizard of Oz. Or you can also say the wizard of Otz, Chaim, the wizard of the tree of life. Otz Chaim is tree of lives, or tree of life, as it's commonly translated. And refers to our spine. So the wizard of the tree of life is precisely our inner magician, our spirit. Yod, Hey, Vau, Hey can also be read as Yod Chava. Because as we explained previously, Yod is the brain. He is the throat. Vav is in the heart. He is in sex. Jehovah. You also can say Yod Chava. Because Yod is the masculine force, Adam, in the brain. And through the power of speech, we control our sexual energy. Chava. Adam, Eve. Male, female. So how we use our speech really determines our life. Because there are ignominious words, wrong ways of speech, harmful ways of speaking. Because how we speak uses the sexual energy. We know this in adolescence, that their voices mature, precisely at the ages of 14 and onward. They're beginning to develop their throat because the sexual energy is becoming active in them. So the power of the throat is the power of chet, the power of life. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil is precisely the sexual organs, the sexual energy, which we said before is otzhadat, tree of knowledge, tob ve ra. Tob is purity, ra is impurity. And the tree of life on the right, as we said, is the path of purity. The path of the left is the path of impurity. Yin and yang, od and obd, ida pingala. In alchemy, we state that when a couple unites, and even throughout the day, especially when meditating in the morning, the fires of the spirit in the higher dimensions descend into the brain, down our spinal column. Meditating at 4 a.m. or earlier is, is a, three, between 3 and 4 is a very good practice, very healthy rejuvenates the mind, the body, and there's certain energies and tattvas active at that time to aid you in your development. Did you say there were negative forces also at that time? Yes, it, it, thank you for bringing that up, because at the hour of 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning is usually when many disciples experience nocturnal pollutions, wet dreams, where the black magicians tempt them in the astral plane, certain women for men and men for women, and they, or they lose their energy. 
So four o'clock is a good time to get up, especially to train yourself if you've had that problem. But also 4 a.m. is good because you're learning to extract fire, take fire from the devil, so to speak. The hour of temptation is the hour between 3 and 4. The hour of Lucifer Venus that Samael Onvior speaks about in his book, Esoteric Medicine, Practical Magic. So that's a, energies are very conducive for meditation at that time. And you get up early in the morning, your mind's already stable. Hasn't been agitated yet. So the powers of Chaya are active at that time. But also the powers of the Lilith, the demons. So it's good not to be tempted at that time, but to train oneself in meditation. This is why the Quran always speaks in the certain surahs, the recitation at dawn, how the recitation at dawn is ever witnessed, both by the angels and the demons. So in those morning hours, you know, we receive the Akashic fire from above, descending down our spine, our vav, the sixth letter of Kabbalah, in order to mix with what we call the Trivini, which is the Cossacks. It's a three-pointed, uh, it's a triangle, we could say, within our Cossacks, in which the forces of Shaddai El-Chai, the Almighty Living God, that we discuss about in Arcanum 4, is manifest. Shaddai is the power of sex, which we use in order to awaken Zayin, the Hebrew letter of the Kundalini, vertebra to vertebra, in order to unite with the head. And when that power has been fully manifest in the initiate, in which the ego is completely dead, one becomes what is called a Chayot HaKadosh, Chayot means beasts, but Kadosh means holy, holy creatures. To become a holy creature means to, as we see in this image, control the four elements that we discussed about in Arcanum 4. You have the bull, which is an ox relating to the earth. You have an eagle relating to the air, relating to the mind. You have a lion relating to fire, relating to the heart. And you have a face of an angel or a man relating to the waters, to sex. How we use those four elements, our three bra- or you say the three brains within our earth, is how we become holy creatures. Hayot HaKadosh, as we say in the invocation of Solomon, cry, speak, roar, bellow. Cry as an eagle, roar as a lion, speak as a man, um, Hum as a, as a bull or an ox. Well, the angels are active at that hour too, but also the forces of darkness. There's always a big battle that goes on in those planes, in those dimensions at that time. And personally, I've witnessed certain things where because I'm trying to become a Hayot HaKadosh, a holy creature, an animal that's been purified, I once you know, tried invoking the Master Samael at that hour not a good time to invoke. I remember looking in the sky, invoking the master, and then all of a sudden, by calling to Christ, I saw the angels fighting a group of demons in the atmosphere, a big battle. That's the hour of Lucifer Venus. We want to become uh, holy creatures, so to speak. Chayot HaKadosh. Right now, we are Nefesh Chayot. So in Arcanum 3, we talked about the three types of soul. Nefesh is animal soul. We are nefesh chayot, meaning beasts, animals. Because any animal fornicates, loses the energy, procreates in that manner. But here we are trying to become human beings. An angel does not fornicate. 
a human being, a real human being, does not waste the energies. Does not expel them. So that's the difference between a nefesh chayot, between a nefesh chaya, a living soul. So if you want to learn more about the three types of soul, listen to that lecture again. Uh, Arcanum 3. We talked about the three types of soul. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. So we want to become living souls. Creatures made into the image of God. Nefesh, Chaya. But first we have to renounce that which is animal in us. Chayot. To explain these principles more deeply, we can refer to the first verse of the third chapter of Genesis. Now the Nachash was more subtle than any chayot of the shadeh which Jehovah Elohim had made. Translated as, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We included the Hebrew because if you want to know the Bible, you have to know the Hebrew, what it means. The word for serpent, as we've been discussing, as the sexual energy, is nachash. We explained previously the letter nun is the sperm or ovum, whether in man or woman. The letter chet is those two energies of uh, solar and lunar forces rising up the spine to the brain. Ida pingala, Adam, Eve, vav, zayin. And then shin, of course, is fire. Nachash is the fire of the serp- the fiery energies that rise within and between ida pingala. That's the serpent, the energies of sex, which have been sometimes referred to as Lucifer. Luciferus means bearer of light, because when you control that serpent, you gain light. But if you are let yourself be tempted, controlled by the serpent, then you enter into uh, sin. You shoot to the left. Even the word sin in, in Hebrew is chet. You spell chet literally, it's chet, tet, aleph, silent A. Chet means sin. So how you use the power of life is how you sin. If you use the energies for the wrong purpose. So what is this beast that is more subtle than any in the field that Jehovah Elohim had made? The word chayot is beast, animal. Because that energy in us is animalistic. We have to refine it to make it become pure and inhuman. The word shadeh is field which is where we get names like Shaddai. The sacred name of God and Yesod and Kabbalah is Shaddai el Chai, the almighty living God. Chai is life. Shaddai means field. So the power that resides in sex is the field. And of course, we think of a field, we think of wheat, where the solar light receives the energy. You receive the solar light of divinity in your sexual organs. But we have to return it back to God. Jehovah Elohim is the sacred name of God in Binah. They translate it as Lord God, but it really means Yot Chava, gods and goddesses. El means God. Eloah means goddess. Elohim means gods and goddesses. So that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. That serpent is precisely the energies of life, which as Jesus taught, that which is born of flesh is flesh through the orgasm. But that which is born of spirit through the same sexual act, but the energy is retained, controlled, is spirit. So Eve was tempted by the serpent. 
Chava means sex, mother of the living, your sexual organs. Adam is the brain. And the original sin was that Chava, our sexual organs, ate the forbidden fruit. We took that energy and we expelled it. And therefore we were cast out of Eden. Bliss. Voluptuousness. Adam then took the forbidden fruit from Eve. People literally interpret this to mean that a woman in the garden ate an apple and then gave it to her husband and therefore we should blame women is what people believe. But the meaning is that Adam, your brain, ate the sensations of the sexual organs, enjoyed the orgasm, that act. And therefore we were cast out of bliss. So we talked about the seven days of Genesis and how by working with the serpent, we raised that serpent within seven bodies, seven vehicles, which if we go back to the tree of life, we see are represented by the seven lower sephiroth, Malkut, our physical body. We have to awaken the kundalini up that body in that spinal column. But we also have a vital body in which we must raise the serpentine force, known as Yasod, the vital vehicle. We have Hod, the emotional body, wherein we must raise the kundalini up the spine and then to the heart in the world of uh, the astral vehicle in order to give birth to a Christic astral vehicle. We also must raise the serpent kundalini up the spinal medulla of the mental body or the lunar mental body. Manasarupa, body of mind. Known as Natsach. Victory. You also have to raise, or after, with Natsach, you create a solar mental body when you raise and develop that serpent fully. And then with Divereth, you create a solar causal body. You raise the Zayin, the serpent force up the spine to the brain to the heart in the world of Tifereth. Likewise, you must do so for Geburah and, and Chesed, the Buddhic and Atmic bodies. These are the seven days of Genesis in which we j- work with the Genesiatic waters of life to create the soul. So let's talk about what does it mean to be born again. We talked briefly that uh, we must be born again of water and spirit to create those solar vehicles represented when we reach the fifth initiation of fire, the world of Tifereth. When you create solar astral, solar mental, solar causal bodies, as we've explained previously. In the fifth day of Genesis, we find the following. Let the earth bring forth nefesh chaya, souls of the living being, according to their kind, minah, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living thing that moveth which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and rabbah. People translate it as multiply, and they use that to justify fornication. Be fruitful and rabbah. Be fruitful and rabbi. Be a master of yourself. Be a master of your sexual energy. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Or better said, be fruitful and, and rabbah, master, and fill the waters and the seas, and then let the fowl multiply on the earth. Because when you are conserving your energies, those principles multiply. You develop the soul. doesn't mean to multiply like animals to create a physical child. Because Jesus taught the second birth relates to creating the soul, which you do through a perfect matrimony. 
I'll conclude with a f- comment about the Shema, which is the declaration of faith in Judaism. They close their eyes, they say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, which really should be Shema Yisrael Yot Chava Eloheinu Yot Chava Echad. They use Adonai to translate the unpronounceable name of God, Jehovah. But of course, they're humbling themselves by approaching the Lord. Really, the real Jews, those who work with the solar light, who follow the path of the right. Shema means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. The word for unity is Echad. Aleph, Chet, Dalet. So we talked about Arkanam 1, the magician, Aleph. We work with the prana, the wind, which we control through the two circuitry, two circuits of energy known as Ira Pingala, Adam Eve, synthesized in Chet. And when we do so, we walk the path of Dat, knowledge, Gnosis, which is the letter Dalet and Echad. That's how you obtain unity. You unify the soul. I'll teach you a practice you can use in relation to Arcana 8. If you're struggling with certain ordeals, certain conflicts, you want to negotiate with the law of karma, the law of justice, for a better situation, you can invoke the Master Anubis and ask him to provide you certain credits to help you receive certain help and benefits in exchange for certain services that you're going to perform. You cross your hands, left over right, over your heart, right over left, excuse me, because the right over the left symbolizes the solar energies over the lunar. You're following the solar path, so you do right over left. If you're a black magician, you do the other way. So right over left, over the heart. And then you pray to Anubis asking for help. When you're invoking him, extend your arms out to their sides. You're doing the, what's called the rune knot. And the runic yoga is a way of positioning your body with certain prayer and mantra to invoke energy. Tip your hands at an angle like this. At a 45 degree angle, I believe. Do the mantras na, ne, Ni, no, nu. Like this. Na, ne, ni, no, And as you say each mantra, adjust your arms in this position at an angle of this, of this nature. Do that seven times or as long as you need to. And ask internally, telepathically for help. But always remember that whatever credit you receive, you have to pay for from the Lord's law, as we discussed in our count of five. So make sure that you promise to do what you're going to do. Any questions? Yeah, well, those type of phenomena 
relate to the balance and, and harmonization of forces in nature. And there's a lot of correlation and re- relationship between the lunar cycles and human psychology. So that type of phenomena of a solar eclipse tends to bring out certain elements in people that are not good. Like full moons, people are very familiar with the term lunatic. It means to follow the path of the left, to be a demon. And when the sun's eclipse, certain energies are active in the cosmos as nature is balancing itself. So I recommend that during any type of astrological event, whether it's a full moon, a waxing moon especially, any type of eclipse, you know, be more mindful and work on yourself. Because you'll see things that come up in your psyche as a result of certain cosmic influences. And that's how you gain ju- justice in yourself, is balancing those forces in you. Sun and moon, male, female. And not to be carried away by anything. That's how you become a tzaddik, which means a just human being, a righteous one. And the Bible speaks about the tzaddikim, which begins with the letter tzaddi, which is what we'll talk about in Arcanum 18. But to be just is to be a tzaddik, a righteous one. You do that by balancing all your three brains, no matter what influences are coming inside. And to learn to take advantage of those type of phenomena for your spiritual benefit. Because there's many cosmological factors that come into play in relation to certain eras and ages in history. When you think about the 60s and the era of, beginning of the era of Aquarius, very powerful influence, which for those who are chaste, receive a lot of help. But those who are fornicators suffer a lot more. So it's good not to be a slave of nature, but to learn how to control it and use it for one's benefit. Well, pleasure is, in the sexual act, is normal. It's the bliss of uh, the soul, you can say. Yeah, Nothing wrong with, uh, well, one thing is to have the attachment of lust in the sexual act, but when husband and wife are united, they feel bliss when they're controlling their ego. But the pleasure that the soul enjoys with, as husband and wife are united, we say translates from Hebrew as Eden. Yeah, that's, that's desire. We say it's, it's ego, desire. lust. But the pleasure is between husband and wife is natural. When they're united and they're remembering their being in that act, really they're filled with that fire and they're controlling it. Control. They're inspired. But the problem is when certain couples build up too much fire because they're lustful, and then they build up so much energy that they lose it. They lose control. That's what it means to be uh, bitten by the serpent. Yeah. In technical language, we say that desire is ego. Yeah, well, but okay. longing is another thing. Love is something different. Yeah, it's a battle that one, one learns to face with practice, with training, so that the 
make the scales tip in our favor or better said to be equilibrated is a long process. Relating to the eight years of Job, the patience of St. Job, eight years he suffered with sickness with his family and friends accusing him, saying, God has cursed you, why don't you curse God back? But he says to that light, naked I was born and naked do I return. So that's one of ordeals that certain initiates face really towards the height of the path itself, the very end. Certain uh, things go wrong and they're not in their favor. Very painful. But we have to remember God always. So our kind of mate relates to justice, the ordeals of Job, and how we must endure them patiently. So if you're in the astral plane, you receive the arcana of eight to a specific question. It means that, well, besides being balanced, you, got, you have to suffer a lot, face certain ordeals. Well, here's the thing. Any person from any zodiacal sign is a demon, is lustful, whether you're a goat or not. Say that again, please. So anyone from any zodiacal sign is lustful. So don't let your zodiac define you, but rather use the positive aspect of your zodiac to guide you. To be honest, I never actually realized until you say that's a goat. It's a goat, yeah. And Capricorn relates to, in the negative aspect of that zodiacal, zodiacal sign, relates to the, the demon we carry within. Every zodiacal sign has a positive and negative influence. So if you're from the sign of Libra, those who are positive are very balanced. But the inverted negative type of uh, Libra person, very lustful, very disbalanced. Well, you could say that with any zodiacal sign, really. There's a positive and negative aspect to it, which you can study when we give a course eventually on the, top, on the topic, but we have a book called Practical Astrology that teaches that, how to use your zodiac for your benefit. But, um, yeah, you can say that the scale of Libra relates to the sign of balance, how you equilibrate yourself, how you balance yourself. But, of course, every sign has its own detriments, its own benefits and detriments which you have to see how it applies to you. Well, I was just going to answer that. That's astrology when you get into it. And Max Eindelman, who had a lot of, he had a regular course on that, among others, is that, that gets complicated. Because even like people, they just say, well, I'm one of them. There's far more to it. Like, say you're Libra, I'm Virgo. There's far more. You see, the cardinal points are the moon sign and the sign that was rising when, when you were born. That's three. It gets more involved than that. They have what they call aspects, planets, the way that, oh, boy, uh, yeah, it's more, quite a bit to it. Not just, not just the sun sign, like your Capricorn around Virgo. Far more, it seems. Not it seems, it is. And uh, in the sign of, uh, or in the book, Astrotheurgy or Practical Astrology that Sam Eilenvier has available, the best astrology is, is Astrotheurgos, star magic, meaning you're communicating with the, the gods and deities of those zodiacal signs. And that's a very uh, strong demarcation between some systems of astrology, which can be beneficial. But one thing that some island VR gives is how you learn to meditate and 
converse face-to-face with those intelligences directly to negotiate your, your debts and also to receive help from those influences. So it's very deep. You know, astrotheurgy or real astrology is when you as a soul are talking to those deities face-to-face, and then you get the help that you need, whether it's from the head of the god of the, god of the zodiac or the different zodiacal signs or constellations. Wouldn't that be, well, that would be like his follow-up. Well, first of all, if they do a birth chart, well, if you want to get kind of complicated, he said, oh, oh, well, I have to work on his areas. Then at that point, that would kick in, right? The theurgy. Well, it's, it's better to... For help. It's better to, uh, knowing one's qualities, is to meditate. Certain signs and charts are a bit antiquated in many respects, but uh, you can use them and refer to them if you want. There's certain things you can look at that say, yeah, it relates to me or not. Um, But in terms of uh, astral theurgy, learning to communicate with the deities of the stars, all it requires is being a good meditator. And that way... You uh, learn about certain influences that, you know, are very pertinent to you, in a very direct way. So, hear from a god about your zodiac is much better than reading a chart. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.